At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'll never forget the first time I watched somebody get so mad that they had to walk out right in the middle of a sermon. It was many years ago. I was a young pastor. I was serving three churches. I had a toddler at home and a baby on the way. And I was still figuring out how to be a preacher and how to be a human being. And one Sunday, one Sunday, I believe that God was calling me to preach a sermon on a controversial topic. It doesn't matter for our purposes this morning what that controversial topic was. All you really need to know today is that I knew it was going to step on some toes. I knew that there were going to be some people in the congregation who didn't want to hear what God was calling me to say. But I also knew that sometimes that's the preacher's job. Sometimes God calls us to say things that people don't want to hear. That's what the prophets did in Bible times. That was the job of the prophets, to say the things that people didn't want to hear. That's what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, did. And when John Wesley built the very first Methodist preaching house in the city of Bristol, he had it constructed in a way that there was no way to get up into the pulpit from down in the pews. And he had it built that way for a particular reason. He had the church built that way because the city of Bristol was the capital of the English of the British slave trade. And John Wesley knew that God was calling him to go to that city and preach to all of those people who had made their fortunes in the slave trade to preach against slavery, to preach against the slave trade. And he didn't want people coming up from the pews and pulling him down out of the pulpit. Sometimes the job of the preacher, sometimes the job of all of God's people is to say what people don't want to hear. And that's what I did that Sunday. I got up in the pulpit at the first of those three churches and I started preaching my sermon. And as I looked around, I could see that people were becoming uncomfortable in the pews. And I could see that there was one man in particular who was really, really struggling. He couldn't look at me. He didn't actually look at me up there in the pulpit. Instead, he pulled out a hymnal and he looked down and he started flipping the pages. But I could tell that he wasn't really seeing the words. He wasn't really seeing the music. I could see the tension building between his shoulders. And finally, he just couldn't take it anymore. And so he slammed the hymnal closed. And then he slammed the hymnal down on the pew. And then he got up, he turned around, walked out the back door of the church, and he slammed that too, just for good measure. It wasn't easy to finish that sermon. It really, it really wasn't easy to go and preach that same sermon two more times at two more churches. And at the end of that very long morning, all I really wanted to do was to go home and curl up in a ball and lick my wounds. But I knew that I couldn't do that yet. I knew that there was something else that I had to do. Now, last Sunday, we heard in Matthew chapter 18, as Jesus told the disciples exactly what to do when somebody sinned against them and when they found themselves in conflict with a brother or sister in their church family, Jesus said, in that situation, here is what you do. You go to that person 
and you talk to them. You talk to them one-on-one, you talk to them face-to-face, you see if you can find reconciliation, you see if you can make some peace happen. And so that's what I did, even though I didn't want to. I drove out to the house of the man who had walked out in the middle of the sermon. I found him out in his driveway. He was working on his car. He had grease all over his hands, and so he didn't offer to shake my hand, and that was fine with me. I didn't want to shake his hand. I didn't want to get that close to him because I could still feel him radiating tension and anger. And we stood there in his driveway for a minute, neither of us saying anything. And finally, I realized I was going to have to go first. And so I said, well, I suppose we probably ought to talk about what happened this morning. He said, yep, we probably should. And I said, what? What was that? You've never done anything like that before. What happened? What was that all about? And then I braced myself. Is I was ready for him to come at me. I was ready for him to, to tell me that po- preachers ought to stay away from controversial subjects. I was ready for him to tell me that my politics were all messed up and that my theology was messed up and I was reading the Bible wrong. And I was ready to come back at him with John Wesley and the prophets. I had them all loaded up and, and ready to go. I was ready for him to say just about anything except what he actually said. He looked down at the top of his shoes, and in a very quiet voice, he said, Well, Pastor, he said, what it's really about, I think, is that my sister died a few weeks ago. And when that happened, I sort of thought that you would reach out to me. I thought you might visit, thought you might call, thought that you might send a note. Well, you didn't. I didn't hear from you at all, he said, and that really hurt. Well, that sort of took my breath away. That took the wind right out of my sails. This was a whole different conversation than the one that I had come out into that driveway getting ready to have. And so I had to take a moment to stop and think about how to respond to what he had just said. I had lots of options. There were lots of things I could have said in that moment. There were a lot of things that I wanted to say. I could have gone all defensive. I could have said, listen, I've got three churches and a toddler at home and a baby on the way, and I'm still trying to figure out how to be a pastor and a human being, and sometimes things are going to fall through the cracks. I could have been defensive. I could have gone on offense. I could have said, listen, I didn't come out here today to talk about what I did or didn't do. I came out here today to talk about what, what you did this morning in worship. And furthermore, when your sister died a few weeks ago, did you reach out to me to let me know that you were hurting? Did you even arrange to have somebody call me to let me know that it had happened? Or did you, like so many people, just assume that pastors somehow magically know about these things without anybody having to tell them? I could have gone on offense. I could have been defensive. There were lots of things I could have said in that moment, a lot of things I wanted to say. But fortunately, the Holy Spirit moved there in that driveway. The Holy Spirit moved in my heart in that moment and grabbed my tongue and kept me from saying any of the things that I really wanted to say. And instead, what I said by the power of God's Holy Spirit was, I'm sorry. That must have really hurt. At a moment when you were feeling an awful lot of pain, you must have felt like your pastor didn't care about you. You must have felt like your church had let you down. Maybe you even felt like God had let you down, and that shouldn't have happened. And I'm sorry, and I hope that you can forgive me. I went out to that driveway hoping that I was going to get an apology, and I ended up offering one myself. And I'm glad that I did. 
Because as we were standing there in that driveway, as I apologized and asked for forgiveness, I watched a miracle take place. He said, well, Pastor, I forgive you. And then for the first time all day, I watched all of that tension evaporate from between his shoulders. And for the first time all day, he looked up and looked me in the eyes. And for the first time all day, he smiled and he said, and I suppose I probably ought to apologize to you too, Pastor. He said, I didn't like what you were saying in your sermon this morning, but I could have handled that better. He said, I disrespected you and I disrespected the congregation and I want you to know that that won't happen again. And before I left his driveway that day, I had grease all over my hand from shaking his. And when I got home, I had to throw my shirt straight in the wash because he gave me a hug just for good measure. Our relationship was bruised, but it was intact. And we were able to keep on serving together and worshiping together, even though we didn't always see eye to eye about everything. And the reason our relationship remained intact, the reason we were able to keep on serving and worshiping together is because God's Holy Spirit in that moment, in that driveway, convinced me that the only way to make peace was to lay down my sword. That's the last thing that Jesus is going to teach us today. As we wrap up our series on conflict in the church and making peace with our brothers and sisters in the church, the last thing Jesus is going to teach us is how to lay down our swords. It's the last thing Jesus taught his disciples on the night he was arrested. In today's gospel reading, we pick up the story of Jesus and the disciples outside, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus and the disciples are there on the Mount of Olives. They're there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's getting late. They've had a long day. They've had a supper together, drunk a little wine. And Jesus leads them out into the garden, and he begins to pray. And the disciples struggle to keep their eyes open. They have a hard time staying awake. But then through the darkness, they hear a sound that causes them to bolt upright and jump to their feet. They hear the sound of marching feet and rattling armor. And the disciples and Jesus, they look up, and through the darkness, they see a band of brutal-looking men coming into the garden, holding swords and carrying clubs. The enemies of Jesus are finally moving against him. And two of the men seize Jesus. They take him by either arm, and they're about to drag him out of the garden when suddenly the disciples spring into action. One of the disciples pulls out a sword and starts waving it around, and a man cries out, and an ear falls to the ground. And for just a second, it feels like there's going to be a battle there in that garden. For just a moment, it feels like this whole situation is going to end in a bloodbath. But then Jesus cries out, stop. He says to his disciples, put your sword away. Don't you know that everyone who takes up the sword will die by the sword? Don't you think that I could call out to my Father in heaven and my Father would send 12 legions of angels to fight this battle for me? That's not what I came to do. That's not the way I came to teach you. Put your swords away. And so the disciples put their swords away. And then Jesus does what he came to do. And he shows them what he came to teach them. As they take him away from the garden, he doesn't defend himself. When they put him on trial the next day, he doesn't speak up to justify himself. As he's hanging on the cross, he does call out to his father, but he does not call down 12 legions of angels. Why? 
Because Jesus wants the disciples and he wants all the world to see that there is a power in creation greater than the power of swords, greater than the power of armies, greater than the power of empires and religious institutions. There is a power in creation that can create life out of death, a power that can turn enemies into companions, a power that we only unleash, that we only experience when we are willing to lay down our swords, our literal swords and our metaphorical swords. A few weeks ago when we started this journey together, I said there's a reason that we're having this series, this conversation right now at this particular moment in time. In this moment when the world is being torn apart by war, in this moment when the church is being divided by conflict, the world needs to see that there is a better way. Somebody has got to show the world that peace is possible. Somebody has got to give our community, somebody has got to give the world a reason to hope. Little did we know when we started this journey together that by the last Sunday in this series, we would be grieving even more deeply, that we would be carrying an even heavier burden. Little did we know that by the time we got to the end of this series, we would have lived through two more horrific gun massacres, one aimed at our black neighbors, one aimed at school children and teachers. And I have been feeling so many things this week, and I'm still feeling so many things this morning. I feel sadness over the lives that have been lost. I feel anger that we keep doing this over and over again and nothing ever seems to change. I feel small and helpless in the face of powerful lobbying organizations and politicians who have their heels dug in and our American idolatrous fascination with guns and violence. Most of all today, I feel more convinced than ever that this world, that this nation needs the followers of Jesus to start walking in the way of Jesus. This world needs people to show that peace is possible. This world needs people who are willing to keep on working for peace even when it seems like peace can't happen because in our hearts there is this vision, this promise that God has given us that one day the wolf and the lamb will live together and children will play without fear. One day the nations of this world will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and there will be no more hurting and nation will not practice war against nation anymore. This world needs people who are willing to say the things that this world doesn't want to hear over and over again as many times as it takes. Those who take up the sword will die by the sword. Those who take up the gun will continue to die by the gun. This world needs a people of peace. It starts in our driveways. It starts in the pews. It has to begin with us. Let's pray. God, pour out your healing. 
Pour out your healing upon these people gathered here. Pour out your healing upon people in Buffalo, people in Uvalde. Pour out your healing. In so many places, touched by conflict, touched by violence, touched by death. And God, we pray not just for the healing that bandages wounds. We pray for the healing that raises from the dead. We pray for the healing that the followers of Jesus experienced on Easter Sunday morning. The healing of resurrection, the healing that gets us out of bed each day, the healing that keeps us rolling up our sleeves and working for peace even when we have to move mountains, God. We pray for that kind of healing to fill every church, to fill every school, to fill every supermarket, to fill every street until there is only peace. In Jesus we pray. Amen.